Our readings from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But, gr- ooh, that's it. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> in Germany, uh, I was meaning to say earlier, uh, in World War II, some of you have heard of the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he was, his job, he, he was, his family was kind of like he was a Kennedy he, his family had that prominence. His dad um, was a, a professor, of, a, a psychology professor with like Freud and stuff like that. They knew each other uh, then, um, but his job was for the German equivalent of the CIA. And so he had a really interesting view into Germany and what was happening, but he was also a very strong Christian. And he was a a leader of what was called the Confessing Church, which was the underground church in Germany during World War II. Um, Bonhoeffer was actually writing a textbook on Christian ethics while he was helping to plan the assassination of Hitler. So he was deeply processing what does a strong Christian, how should they live, because he actually had access to see things that most Germans didn't know was even, were even happening uh, in the country, but he knew what was happening. And, uh, but Bonhoeffer, what's interesting is he wrote this incredible little book called Life Together. And in that book, what he talks about is that you would think being a part of the underground church in Germany, resisting the darkness of the Third Reich, and meeting illegally, and lifting up the word of God, and praying in community, that you would think it would be like the most pure gospel community that's ever been, you know? And what's fascinating in Life Together is he writes about how shocking it was, the evil that he saw inside the confessing church, because he realized was how broken the Third Reich was, but he realized how broken he was and how broken the relationships were that he was with. And he, he got to a point where he was like, the honeymoon is over. Like, I thought being a part of this church in the underground church was going to be, like, amazing. And he said, I realized that these people were my enemies, too, because the things I thought I had in common I didn't have in common with them anymore. And I thought, well, we both resist Hitler, so we should be like closest friends ever. And he was like, after a while, all of that kind of fades away. And it's like, I thought we were Hawkeye fans together. I thought that we enjoyed the same food. And now I'm in conflict with you, and I really don't like being around you. And he, what he found what was happening was that also, even though it was amazing, the group that they were a part of, what he also realized was that it was bringing out people's deepest fears because they didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. Their deepest insecurities were being highlighted because they didn't know if they would have jobs next week. You know, such turmoil was happening. And so we're going to kind of see in in this morning a little bit, Bonhoeffer has some really eye-opening moments. And one of the eye-opening moments that Bonhoeffer has is he finally got to the part with the confessing church that he was able to look at each other and he was able to be like, you know what? 
the reason we're in this room is not really because we like each other. We're not really in this room because we have the things in common. If, if we just keep playing this thing out, we will not be in this room anymore. We're all going to go to each other's corners and just be like, I'm just going to live over here. You live over there. You live over here. He's like, I finally got to the place where I realized the only reason I'm in this room with these people is because we have Jesus in common. That's the only reason. I used to think there were 30 reasons. There's one reason. We have Jesus in common. And Bonhoeffer was like, I think we're just starting true Christian community. Because now it's founded not on like, oh, Ian, I like that guy. He's a good guy. I like you, buddy. You know, it's like after a while, it's like, Ian and I have Jesus in common. And what he realized was like, if you start from that, that's how you survive like the honeymoon season being over. If you start with that, that's where you go when you have fears, when you have anxieties, when, you, when there are reasons to push each other away, you actually draw near to each other because you have Jesus in common. And so Bonhoeffer wasn't pulling this out of the air. I think Ephesians chapter 4 absolutely speaks into that. And so what we're going to see is what Bonhoeffer saw as well. And what's been fascinating is we've been going through the book of Ephesians. We're, we're eight weeks. I think this is our eighth week in the book of Ephesians. We're now at chapter four. There's six chapters. So we're halfway through. And in all the first half of the book of Ephesians, there has been one imperative. Okay, so for you who are teaching your kids or language nerds, like an imperative is a command, right? So there are all these different ways to use verbs and stuff, but an imperative, you're commanding somebody something. So in the whole first half of Ephesians, there's one command in the entire first half, and it's the command to remember. So God is like bringing us up all of these treasures we have in Jesus. We're dead in our sins. Now we have immeasurable wealth in Jesus. Our inheritance is over the top. We couldn't even imagine the prayers that God would answer if we dare to, to ask these prayers. And the only command that we have is to remember. One command, three chapters. Guess how many commands are in the last half of the book of Ephesians? There's been one in the first half. In the last half, there's 39 39 imperatives in the last half of Ephesians of basically saying like, okay, now, who, now that we know who we are, how do we live? God, teach us how we live for our good, for our flourishing, for your glory. Teach us how to do that. One imperative, first three chapters, 39 imperatives, and we'll encounter one here in verse 1 of chapter 4. Verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Summarizing this verse simply yet powerfully, uh, we're told first, I urge you to walk. Um, so if you're going to write something down, I think we might have that point up there, but I urge you to walk as a prisoner. Now he's saying, I'm a prisoner. He's been in jail for three years. So I think if I was in jail for three years and I'm writing a letter to strong believers, I would say, I urge you to hide, right? I urge you to keep your head down. I urge you to have a low profile. Maybe I urge you to run away. Let's lose this battle. We'll live to win the war one day or whatever it may be, right? He doesn't say that. In prison, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Um, in the Greek word, uh, in the Greek language, um, word order is random, or it's not the same, right? So in English, we typically have subject, I, verb, kick, 
direct object, the ball. So typically you have subject, verb, direct object. That's most of a lot of our sentences, right? In Greek, they put the most emphasized word first. So it could be the verb, it could be the direct object, it could be the subject. It's whatever the language, whatever the person writing wants you to hear first. That's the first word. And then you kind of fit all the other ones together. In here, what Paul says is urge. The first thing I want you to hear is urge. I'm urging you to do something. I'm pleading with you to do something. What I'm urging you to do is to walk. So with such passion, like if Paul's yelling, urge, I think he would say, run. You know, it's like, hurry up, walk. You know, it's like, why are you walking? Why are you not running? In some places it is. You, you run the race that God has for you. So running is used in some places of Scripture for how we should relate in our relationship with God. Here, though, I think I was thinking about walking, and I was like, you know what? Walking can be really powerful if you're going the right direction, right? Like, running, I've seen people, I've seen uh, people that I know they're really close to me run the wrong way, you know, and it's like, wow, you're really passionately running the wrong way, um, but, you know, we've probably all been a part of those sports teams, right, when, like, you're really excited for your kid to finally score, they get the basketball, and then they go the wrong way, and, you're, and they score, and it's like, yeah, no, yes, I don't know, I'm glad you made the basket wrong way, you know, um, but here, he's really caring that we walk with a patient endurance, if you walk a long time in the right direction, incredible progress is made. So what's the right direction? We're urged that the right direction is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Um, I, I was like, I wonder, like these are the weird things I ask myself during the week. I wonder what you is used here. Um, I wonder if it's plural or singular. And a lot of times, like, it doesn't make any difference. Um, here, a lot of times when we see the word you in Scripture, it's plural. And this is where some of us that lived in Oklahoma for a long time, it's like finally justification. We get to use the word y'all. It's not just a hick word. It's actually helpful because sometimes you don't know if the you is plural or singular, so you can say y'all. And we know what's funny is when people say all y'all. It's like just, it makes no sense because it's like you're already saying y'all, now you throw another all uh, in front of it. Here, though, in a lot of Ephesians, it's y'all. Y'all is what happens in a lot of Ephesians. So it, what that means is when he speaks, he's speaking to the room. And he's saying, okay, this is for the room. And a lot of times we think our walk with Jesus is so individual that it's like, well, it's, it applies to me. Um, but to realize like, oh, this applies to TJ and it applies to Kaylin, and it applies to Jen, and it applies to Mike, and Deb, and it applies to John. And to, to hear it as plural, as the room, actually does something to take us to a place where we're a body of Christ. We're a family caring about this speaks to all of us, right? Here, though, it's singular. He switches from the plural to the singular, and I think why, and praying through this, I think why he's switching from the plural to the singular is to let us know how stinking important it is for us to realize that God has an individual will and calling for each one of us. Every single human being in here has a calling from God 
of what he's calling us into, a plan he has for us, how he's going to use us in our community, in our families, in our classes, on our sports teams, at our work. He has a calling for each one of us. And so he's urging us not to be on the sidelines, not to play it small, not to let somebody else live out their calling and we can sit back and watch. But he's urging each of us, he said, urge you to walk out your individual calling that God has for you. And I think for us, like we have to, we have to not just, we could hear this and be like, la, 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 I'm not listening, I'm walking away. But instead, we're even instructing other places, like we should not leave this place ever different than when, or the same as when we walked in. When we encounter God and encounter his word, we should always walk out differently than when we walked in. And here, what he's telling us to grapple with is, have we been walking? Have we been walking? Have, or have we been on the sidelines? Maybe you've seen the door of what God has called you to. Maybe you've seen that door, and maybe the door even is open, and you're, you're not walking through it. You're like, okay, I know what God's called me to. Maybe it's a ministry. Uh, maybe it's some cause that he wants you to step strongly into. Maybe it's a new way of doing life. Maybe an initial call that he has for us is to give our lives to Jesus, to be all in with him. And maybe it's like, yeah, I see it, and I'm just, I'm not walking into it. I'm kind of on the sidelines here. Will you walk today? Will you hear the urging? Will you surrender to the love that Jesus has for you? Will you surrender to him and see how he is ready to teach you the calling he has for you? Where to walk, how to walk with him. Start by telling him, I'm here. Samuel is great. Like If you remember in the Old Testament that God was calling Samuel, and Samuel thought that it was uh, some other guy calling him. So Samuel kept like showing up in this guy's room and being like, hey, I'm here. The guy's like, I didn't call you. And then he went back to his room and came back and was like, hey, I'm here. He's like, I'm not calling you. And then I think it happened three times or something. Then eventually the older guy was like, I think God's calling you. You should say, I'm here. You know, and then finally he's like, hey, Lord, hey, I, I hear you. Here I am. Use me. Here I am. Send me. Would you talk to him about that? Maybe you've been walking and your legs are tired. Maybe you have been walking and you're calling and you're tired. Um, maybe your soul is tired from walking. Maybe you've been walking by yourself. Maybe you've been walking by yourself. And what I would ask all of us, if, if we find that, and we could find that to be us at any time, is would we reach out to those around us and let them know, hey, I think I'm walking in my calling here. Would you, would you come next to me? Could we walk together? We, it seems like our callings are maybe similar. Can we walk together in these callings and hold each other up? He urges us to walk, and thankfully, God cares greatly not just about us walking, but our attitude as we walk, right? Like, we've all asked our kids to do stuff, and they do what we ask them to do, but the attitude is so terrible. They're like, wait a second. I don't want you to just do what I'm telling you to do. I want you to do it with a heart that uh, here's my, the attitude I want you to do, and that's verse 2. If you look at verse 2, this is the attitude of how he wants us to walk. With all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is how do we walk together is what he's telling us. And this is fascinating. The way that this is written is that um, 
he's not saying just like, hey, as you're walking out your calling, here's some suggestions of an attitude you should have. What he's actually saying here is that for us to live out our individual callings hinges on how we interact with each other. So like if you just hate everybody in this room, it's going to be like this gigantic hurdle to have us actually walk out what God has us walk out. Okay, I know hate's a big word, and that's it. But if, you know, the more that we, well, here's one, to, one way to write this, right? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I was like, how would I write this if I wrote the opposite? So this is opposite world of this verse. As you're walking out your calling, be impatient. Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. As you're walking out your calling, be proud. Be prideful and do it in your strength. And be impatient. And walk past those who are hurting. Ignore those who are frustrating you. Consider that there are anchors in your life. So ignore them. And don't care about anybody else who's walking with Jesus around you. But live out your calling, right? That's why, like, the attitude is so, so important, is, hey, as you're walking out your calling, be humble and gentle. Well, because that's Jesus, right? The king of the world who will make every, I mean, he won't even have to ask people. When he appears, you, we will all instantly fall on our knees, Every single human being on the planet, Scripture tells us, will drop to their knees as Jesus shows up. There's no more powerful being that has ever been. And he's characterized as being humble and gentle. A gentle person is not someone who's weak and they're just living out their weakness. A gentle person is actually someone who's really strong but is really restrained in their strength and is using their strength for peace, not for war. With patience... Well, I'm, I'm usually impatient when we're on my timetable and when I'm trying to accomplish my to-do list. But we can be patient when we're on the Lord's timetable and we're following him as he is doing his work in our community, in us, and through us. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, bearing with one another in love. Jesus has been bearing with us for a lifetime. As we look to Jesus, we're like, wow, you bear with me all the time. Times that I even don't want to be with myself, you pledge that you're with me to the end. Jesus doesn't ask us to tolerate one another, but he invites us to actually love one another. You can look like you love people by like kind of putting on a mask and having kind of a churchy smile. But he's like, you know what? I actually want you to get to the place where you love one another where you got each other's back, where you're for one another. And, and there are people, I mean, I have had multiple people that I've talked to in this community have told me my dad never once told me he loved me. I've never heard my dad tell me he loves me, ever. And, uh, you know, as I grieve over having those conversations with people, to realize, like, the, God has to do this in us. So this is not a message of try harder. This is a message to be like, Lord, you want me to love these people? okay, my eyes are on you, because I don't know what that looks like. 
I don't know what that feels like. Whenever I've had conflict with people, we just punch or run away or yell or don't talk about it or whatever it may be. And it seems like you actually want us to like live where we genuinely love each other. And that's how we're gonna actually carry out the callings that you have for each one of us. Is that what you mean? And it's like, yeah, that's, did I write it clear enough? And then you know, say like, okay, now you're gonna have to show me how to do this. Uh, Bonhoeffer writes this as he's thinking about his community. He says, a Christian comes to the others, a Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. Among men there is strife. All that he experienced by people who were all walking with Jesus, resisting Hitler. Among men there is strife. He is our peace, says Paul of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, there's discord between God and man and between man and man. Christ became the mediator and made peace with God and among men. Without Christ, we should not know God. We could not call upon God nor come to him. But without Christ, we also would not know our brother, nor could we come to him. The way is blocked by our own ego. Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother. Now Christians can live with one another in peace. They can love and serve one another. They can become one, but they can continue to do so only by way of Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ are we one. Only through him are we bound together. To eternity, he remains the one mediator. So I'm at my best when I look at my dad and I'm not like, oh, you're my dad, I love you. I'm at my best when I look at my dad and I see his relationship with Jesus Christ and that Jesus is the one who is his mediator between him and his God and Jesus is the one who's the mediator between us. And that's how we can genuinely have a true relationship like he's talking about here. As our community groups launch that we we're talking about through our uh, guys gathering and our ladies gathering, the following week we'll be having community groups launch. And so we'll have a group in Collins, we'll have a group in Maxwell, a group in Baxter. It looks like we'll have a group on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night in those three places. And so, uh, so we'll hopefully have options where community options, but then also you might be like, well, the Baxter group is the only night I can actually meet, so maybe I'll be a part of the Baxter group or the part of the Maxwell group that's at the Schrock's house, Courtney, who prayed for us earlier. Um, but this is where so many of li living life with each other, for each other, for our community together is gonna happen in our groups. As we, as we come together, we, we discuss things like this. We get deeper into each other's lives. We pray together and we play together and have fun and bring people into our living rooms and interact with them. And so, so I just encourage us, I think last week I encouraged too, just to start praying and to start positioning. Those are probably the two things I would say is like start praying into those groups and how the Lord will have you be a part of it. Maybe you'll end up hosting a group one day. Maybe you'll end up uh, having a group in your house that you're leading. But start pray, praying for that, but then start positioning your life for that. So it's like, you know, I'm, we're mindful of that right now. Like if I have sports things that are every single night of the week, well, I've positioned my life away from that and not being able to do that for the next six months or whatever. But instead to be like, okay, let's just do this so that we're positioning our life to be able to step in that starting in November. So um, as our eyes have been open for how do we walk, the attitude we walk with, we then are instructed why we're supposed to walk together. Why are we supposed to walk together? Look at verse four. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Why do we walk together? Well, because God is not a fractured God. God doesn't have like, yeah, we started as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we just couldn't get along. So now there's a religion over there, a religion over there, and a religion over there. It's like, no, what, what Scripture teaches us is at the very heart of our God is a relationship. And it's a relationship that has been united and that has been together with no conflict for all of eternity. So if you got in a time machine and you're like, I'm going to go back to when God started, we'd never see you again. You would never arrive at eternity past. And so that's why before God, Isaiah teaches us, there's nothing been before God. God has always been through all eternity and has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one God and one body of the church. So we can't take our ball and go home and be like, that's it, I'm not going to be a part of a church anymore. I'm just going to be a Christian by myself forever. And I would just have to say, Scripture doesn't even consider that as a possibility. Scripture is very clear to say, as you are a part of Jesus, you're now a part of his body. And, uh, and sometimes he'll shuffle the deck and move us from this body to the Collins Christian Church or move us to a body in Ankeny or, or Cornerstone in Ames. Or he may have us be a part of different bodies at different seasons. But to be in Christ and not be in one body together is unheard of because this is how we're thriving. This is how we're living together. This is the giftings that we've been giving are being carried out there. So there's one body. There's one baptism Baptism has acted for, for since the church began as this tangible gateway into the life of the church. It doesn't, you don't come to Jesus by being baptized, but when you come to Jesus in faith, baptism is one of the first beautiful acts of obedience of a Christian by proclaiming that I am in Christ. And, and this, the, the imagery of baptism is, we, we get this from Romans and some other places, is that, that as you go under the water, you are buried with Jesus in his death. So you're identifying with going into the ground with Jesus. And if the, if the person baptizing you didn't bring you up, you would die, right? Like, I mean, you are identifying with him by going down in the waters into death. But then just as Jesus, just as the grave couldn't hold Jesus, you are brought out of the water as, as Jesus conquered death, you're brought up with him. And then as Romans says, you're now, uh, you are brought up to walk in newness of life. Because you're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. Jesus now owns you. He is your Lord. He gets to direct you. And he is good. And he is for our flourishing. And so now we are free to walk in him. And twice now, I've had the privilege of baptizing dozens of people. Uh, but twice now, um, I have seen as people are baptized, people watching that person be baptized have put their trust in Jesus. They've been like, oh my gosh, this is all real. This is true. I believe, Jesus, I'm yours. Um, I, what, what they're doing, I'm doing that right now, giving, giving my life to you. And so, so as there's one baptism, and as we strive for unity, for humility, we strive to bear with one another in love because we've entered into the baptism waters and have died with Christ. So now we can live in him and we can live as fellow people washed 
by our Jesus and washed in the waters of baptism together. So if you've given your life to Jesus, have yet to be baptized, I'd love to talk. I'd love for us to have a baptism service in the next month or two where people who've, who maybe came to Jesus 10 years ago and have yet to be baptized or are coming to Jesus maybe 10 days from now, uh, that we can, we can have people enter into this one baptism. There's one hope that belongs to our call. We don't have separate hopes and the hope here isn't like, oh, do you feel hope? Do you feel that emotion of hope? The hope here is the content of our hope, which is the person of Jesus. Like, that's our hope at the end of the day. Like, if Jesus uh, isn't alive, we don't have hope, Paul said. But if Jesus is alive and well, we have hope, and he is our hope. And Jesus even marvelously said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So why do we walk together instead of walking solo? It's Jesus' heart for us. He seeks our flourishing. In John 17, this is one of the last passages we'll look at. John 17, he just very clearly, Jesus communicates his heart. We see in the inner heart of Jesus uh, what he desires for us as he prays to the Father. Verse 20 says, this is John 17, verse 20, if you want to write it in your notebooks. It, we'll, we'll do a, the entire chapter is majestic, but we'll just look at verses 20 through 23 this morning. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. So Jesus, I mean, this is, this is his prayer before ascending, I mean, this is incredible. Uh, some of Jesus' last words on planet Earth is him praying that we would be one. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are in one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So, I mean, the, you see how here why God is writing ways right in Ephesians 4, which is for us to individually live out the callings that we have, for us to continue to thrive and grow, and as even like a, being a church for eight or nine weeks now, and maybe some of the honeymoon aspects of that fade away, what you expect, even in marriage, if someone's like, man, I, I wish I could get back to the honeymoon and for the love we had, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, uh, people who've been married for 30, 40 years and stuff, too, are like, it's almost like we didn't love each other at all when we first got married. So, yeah, there was like, the honeymoon was special, but we have gone to a way deeper place now and a way more genuine place. And it's a, hopefully a more passionate place, even, because that we've lived a lot of life together. And, uh, and God has given us even a deeper love for each other. And as time goes on, like that's our desire here and God's desire for us and saying that as people see that, they will know that this is, that, that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Lord willing, people will say, I wanna be in on that. However they got to where they're at, that's what I wanna have as it relates to my relationship with God. I urge you to walk in your calling, not be on the sidelines, we will be unable to walk out our calling if we're warring against others, trying to walk out their callings. How we walk together is important to God. Our humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, these are, all, these are traits of Jesus that as we walk with him, we should see them becoming our traits. Not just because we're trying to be nice, but because we're following him and it's, it's actually real and deeper. 
We're not doing this in our strength, but we're receiving his strength, moving towards him, not away. So uh, what I would just say is, man, let's not be on the sidelines. And uh, if you're here and for the first time, maybe you're feeling like, okay, I know my first calling. God has been pursuing me to put my trust in Jesus. I would just encourage you. I would urge you. (laughs) I would urge you to walk out that calling. I'd urge you to give your life to Jesus. And the uh, uh, last couple of weeks, I've led us in a prayer to do that. And I, and I just want to dispel that. It's not a prayer that saves people. Um, all that you even would need to do is just let him know your heart. And just even right now, just you can quietly just be like, God, I'm yours. I'm all in. Giving my life to you. Thank you that you saved me. I want to be a part of this. I put my trust in you, Jesus. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I actually want you to use me to reach my friends, to reach people in my family. I want you to use me, and I know that you live for me. I know that you died for me. I know that you paid the penalty of my sins, and so I'm all in. Change me from the inside out for your glory. And I'd say if you prayed that, if that's the state of your heart, first of all, like, rejoice, as that song said. Like, you should be jumping up and down, at least on the inside, okay? Because all who put their trust in Jesus will not be pushed away. All who put their trust in Jesus, the word the Bible says is saved. You might not have known you were lost coming in here, and now you know you're saved, and, and you know that you're his. Rejoice. That's why we sang that, that word so many times. It's because we can't forget rejoicing of what he's called us into, Share it with your spouse, share it with somebody so that we can start walking together. As we seek to walk not in our own strength, but in his strength, communion is um, an incredible thing that Jesus has given to us. So if you're a part of the worship team, you'll be leading us into this, so feel free to come up here. Um, But uh, what Jesus has given us in communion is to say, You who are in me, so if you are not walking into that calling of putting your trust in Jesus, use this as a chance to pray, uh, use this as a chance to look to Jesus, but uh, for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, um, he has given us this meal, this was his idea, and what he said is, as you take the bread, and as you eat that bread from the inside out, this is my body that was lived perfectly for you in your place. As you take this, you're taking on me. I am giving nutrients to your entire body. I am giving you strength. All things that we find from food. Like he gave us this as his bread. He's the bread of life. We take and we eat in faith. Uh, Then the dark color is wine. The light color is juice. Obey your conscience there. This is his blood that was shed for us. That washes us white as snow. And so we'll take the bread. We'll take uh, his blood. The way that we'll do this is we'll just come down and take the elements, and then feel free to go back to your chairs and just stand there, and then as a family, we'll all take it together. So please come, let's respond to our Savior.